I want to tell you, I've never spoken to hot mamas and stud muffins. So this is pretty exciting for me. Andy and Maddie, you guys are amazing. Great job, honestly. Really good job. I get the chance to speak at a lot of these kind of marriage things, and they do it the best. And I've never heard the word fart in church before. So it's just a, it's, a, it's great that now I can remember this about Northside, that, that you fart in front of your spouse. That's so nice. Well, except for the new, newlyweds and the engaged. It's great to be with you anyway. So good. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about priorities. Several years ago now, not too many, but a few. I got a call from my doctor, and he said, Jim, you need to come in in the afternoon today, and you need to bring your wife. That's never good news when they say, come in now and bring your wife. And it wasn't. I had cancer. So he ushered me to, through the different ideas that we had to do, and I end up at the City of Hope in Los Angeles, which is one of the great cancer hospitals in the world, and uh, I'm about to have cancer surgery. Now, I never thought I was going to die. I mean, I really didn't. I mean, I had other things going on in my life. In fact, I even asked the doctor if I could postpone it because I was in the middle of a speaking season, and he just looked at me and went, no. You know? And um, the only person who thought I was going to die was my, my mother-in-law. She said to my wife, Kathy, you guys have had a great marriage, and you know it's been really good, and Jim and you are young enough that when he dies, when he dies, then you're going to be able to marry somebody else, and you can have a second good marriage. You've got to love the mother-in-law. And she's now dead, and I'm not saying if I'm happy or not, but I wouldn't have called her a hot mama is, is how it goes, okay? Oh, man. So anyway, uh, he didn't let me do my speaking tour, and I had to go get, uh, you know, the surgery, and I do need counseling, I'm sure. But the night before the surgery, and I'd been at City of Hope all day signing papers away that if you take aspirin, you're going to die and all these different things. So for some reason, now I had death in my head. So we're at a hotel right next to the City of Hope. We're going to come in for a big 5.30 uh, landing where they you know, put on the robe and do all the fun stuff. And <clears throat> I got up. I just woke up. And I thought to myself, what would I want to share to my kids if I did die? Now, again, I realized that I just opened. We were talking about farts a moment ago, and now I'm talking about death, but I am alive. As I said, my mother-in-law isn't, but I am alive, so you know, we made it. But I started writing down things, and I started writing down some phrases that I wanted to share with my kids. Never thought I would share it to people like you. I also said in this little note that I was writing in the middle of the night, I said, what would I want my marriage to look like, and how would I want it to finish well? So cool that about half of you are zero to... 10 years in here because you've got a long ways to go. I've got 48 on you. So I've been married 48 years. Um, 10 of those years have been really good. Um, no, Kathy and I actually have kind of a high-maintenance marriage. We don't have a bad marriage. We have a really good marriage, but we have a high-maintenance marriage. And we thought that that was not going to be the case because we had become Christians when we were teenagers. We weren't raised in the church. We didn't have a church background. And so we became Christians. We said we're going into ministry. And we went, oh, that's going to be easy. And then I would argue with her on the way to church when I was a youth pastor and then talk to the kids about the joy of a healthy, beautiful Christian family, feeling somewhat hypocritical because I just argued with my wife, right? And I have to tell you, it's not still perfect, but it's good. Okay, so we've been married 48 years. This is the picture of our wedding. I had hair. I was so happy to show you that, okay? I didn't have it for, for long, but I actually cut my hair for the wedding because Kathy goes, you need to cut your hair. Now she never says that, but that's another story. So what was interesting for me was that cancer 
and kind of thinking about my mortality, if you would, actually helped me to really think about priorities in a different way. And I want to give you a phrase tonight. It's not going to come up on the board, and it's not in your notes. There's a note thing if you'd like to take notes. But this is such an important phrase. It says, a good marriage is the consequence of making good decisions over and over and over again. Pretty much, to do marriage right is kind of simple, but it's not easy. See, there's a difference, okay? And it comes to priorities. I don't know about you, but I have all kinds of confused priorities. I mean, we'd probably all agree with these priorities because we're at church. God, our marriage, our children. Some of you are old enough to have grandchildren, grandchildren, and then our vocation. So we have these confused priorities going on because what happens for me is like I'm in the God business because I speak about God, right? I'm going to preach at your church tomorrow night and, and Sunday. And so I'm in the God business. And so I get my God relationship all confused with my vocation. And for many years, Kathy and I would have to say that we had a child-focused marriage instead of a marriage-focused marriage. That doesn't mean that if you have a four-year-old that you say, hey, we're going to go away for the weekend and there's some peanut butter in the closet and have a great time. You know, we're not going to do that. But a lot of us tend to, as it said in actually that little thing, we have conflict over children. I mean, nobody doesn't want children. If you have teens, there may be a couple of you that would like to trade your teen for somebody else's teen for just a bit. But nobody wants to have uh, you know, get rid of their kids, but it does cause a conflict, and a lot of times we go in that way. Now, what I learned was a phrase that was so key for me as I start, and I'm going to kind of tell you a little bit about my story, but the key for me is not to prioritize what's on my schedule, because I'm always busy, but to actually schedule my priorities. So when you did the little game thing and somebody was doing date nights, that's cool, because that becomes a priority. If we don't make it a priority, we just don't do it, see? And yet we find that 78% of people say that their marriage is better off if they have a date night, interestingly enough. So Kathy and I, again, I said it was high maintenance, so we got married, and then I went away with her to uh, Princeton, New Jersey to go to grad school, and it was better. The first year was hard. I kind of kept running back to my mom and my dad, and, um, and you know, I would just be there at the house. I wouldn't tell them that we'd had a fight, or I wouldn't tell them that it was frustrating, or I wouldn't tell them that we were kind of having some high maintenance moments. And I never wanted to throw Kathy under the bus, so I just would go over there, and I would just hang out with them. And Kathy was like, we lived about five miles away from my parents, and, and her parents were long, way far away. And both of us came from dysfunctional homes, so it wasn't like I was going to a home that was like totally nurturing me, but, but that's what we would do. And uh, again, we, we moved to Princeton, New Jersey for grad work, and uh, we came back to a church that had four kids in it, and uh, we could handle four kids in the youth group as a youth pastor. And about three, year, three months later, I should say, we had about 100 kids, and then we had 400 kids. We ended up having about 800 students. It was back in the heyday of student ministry where it was this massive thing. The church loved me. In fact, the church liked me so much that they actually doubled my salary in one year. That's a greater miracle than Jesus walking on water. I know there's some pastor types in here. It's unbelievable that they did. It was still a lousy salary, by the way. So one night, um, and I was working like crazy, and again, like I said, the church loved me. The parents thought I was cool. The kids seemed to think at least at that point I was cool. And, you know, the only person who kind of didn't think I was cool was Kathy. And so we're sitting at a place called the Salt and Pepper Restaurant, which is a little bit like your Waffle House. We don't have Waffle House in California. And I opened the window this morning in my hotel and I was looking at a Waffle House. So I was staring at this Waffle House and it reminded me of the Salt and Pepper Restaurant, just a cut above. So we're at this place, it's at night, we'd just been with 800 kids, and I'm tired, but we're going to kind of review what's going on, and, and I thought it was a date, she thought it was a review, and it was more of a review, and in the middle of it, and she'd been kind of quiet, all of a sudden, her lips started to quiver, 
Now, I'm not brilliant on marriage, but I did know that if my wife's lip quivered, I was in trouble for something. And I didn't even know what I was in trouble with. In fact, I told people that with three daughters and a wife, I just wake up every morning and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and that seemed to work. But her lip starts quivering. Later, with three daughters, their lips quiver. We even have a golden retriever that lips quiver. I mean, it's weird, okay? <laughs> By the way, that's not hereditary. It was the kids who were hereditary. So her lip starts to quiver, and she goes, Jim, I don't think we should have children. What do you mean you don't think we should have children? Her degree is in early childhood. Her specialty is autism. She's got a master's in it. She's a kid magnet. Amazing. We're in student ministry. She's amazing with kids. Our first date, I said to her as we're talking, I go, our first date? We talked about having kids. I wanted you to have my kids, and you just wanted to have kids. What do you mean you don't? She goes, you're good with everybody else's kids, but I don't know if you'd be good with our kids. You're never around. When was the last time we connected? And I said, I'll just be honest with you. I said, well, we had sex just a couple nights ago, and maybe tonight, you know. <laughs> she goes, that's not intimacy, only intimacy. Now, I wrote a book called Creating an Intimate Marriage. Somebody got it. I saw it in the thing. So they had a couple of extra ones, so they just gave it to you for free because they had them from last year. Um, but, <laughs> but the point being is that we a lot of times think of intimacy as sex, us guys, and women understand it a little better that it's connection. And I wasn't connecting with her very well. And so I had to admit something to Kathy there at the salt and pepper restaurant, in the, married for four years. I said, Kathy, I'm having an affair. Okay. Now, the affair wasn't with a woman. Please hear that. Okay. I know I live in Southern California. It wasn't with a man either. Okay. <laughs> the affair was with my job. My mistress was my love. I loved my job. My low self-esteem needs were being met by a church that thought I was pretty cool. And so I was glad to do what my dad had done and become a workaholic. My dad was an alcoholic, but he was also a workaholic, and I was glad to go into that direction. See? And so as we're sitting there, I'm saying, I'm having an affair. And pretty much my lip almost quivered to say, maybe we need some help. We pulled out a piece of paper, and we wrote down three things, action steps. Action number one, have a non-negotiable date night. We decided that 44 years ago, and we pretty much never missed. There are times we've missed because somebody was sick or because of travel. But we even when we travel, if I travel to speak, we make it up. So our date night was a great date night. I'm not going to go into the details of it. But we saw the movie. We, we went to dinner. We saw a movie. And then we'll leave the rest out. That was just you know Wednesday night before I came here. And we don't date on Wednesdays typically. It's another night. But because of me traveling, we, we made up for it. So we made a decision to do that. Secondly, we made a decision that we were out too many nights a week. We were too busy. And so we had to actually cut back some good things. You're going to hear me say a little bit more about that if you come on Saturday night or Sunday, because I'm going to talk about how families need margin. In fact, somebody said to me one time, I was speaking at the Promise Keepers Pastors Conference, which was at Diamondback Stadium. And the master of ceremonies was a guy named Jack Hayford, who's amazing. And I said, Jack, what's the secret to leadership success? I wasn't just thinking about marriage. I was just thinking about life. This is a guy who was the pastor of a mega church. He was the president of a university, a Christian university. He was the president of their denomination. I mean, this is a big deal. Writes books, on television, all this. And he said, Jim, it's not what I chose to do. It's what I chose not to do. I said, unpack that for me. He said, Jim, I had to say no to good things, to say yes to the most important things. Jack, what are the most important things? It's my relationship with God. It's my relationship with my wife. He just lost his wife. It's my relationship with my kids, my grandkids. So here's a guy who's incredibly successful in his work, 
But what he's saying to me is that I had to say no to good things to say yes to the most, most important things. He somehow figured out how to have his priorities right. His priorities weren't confused like some of those priorities. So the truth is, is that we also have to learn because a good marriage, what did I say, is the consequence of making good decisions, but it's also the consequence of making your top priorities your top priority. Now, you made it here. So in some ways, I'm singing to the choir. Now, I know some of you got pulled here and you got promised sex or food or something to get here. I get it, okay? But the point that I'm saying is, is you're here. And yet a lot of people wouldn't put time into their marriage or lean into it. Well, what's the result of living with confused priorities? There's some results. One of the results, and this is a big problem for a lot of us, and I just mentioned, I saw by some of your faces that you are getting it, is that we are overcommitted and underconnected. Way too many of us are overcommitted, doing good things. You're not doing horrible things. We're just doing a lot of stuff. So we're overcommitted with busyness, and we're underconnected as a couple. In fact, some people are underconnected with their relationship with God. They're underconnected with their relationship with their spouse. They're even, to be honest, sometimes underconnected with their kids. Not that they're not with their kids all the time, but they're underconnected because there's not that intimacy because they're just going from you know, meeting to meeting or, or whatever it might be. So perhaps the biggest problem in America is this breathless pace in which we're living our lives. And again, nobody likes to say this because we are all busy. In fact, I thought coming to places like New Albany or other places that I get to go to, no, you're not as wild and crazy as we are in California or they are in New York or in Atlanta or wherever, but that's not the case. We're just all sometimes too busy. Somebody said to me one time when I graduated and I didn't stay for the graduation in my grad school, a friend of mine wrote me a note. He said, dear Jim, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And you know what? That was so true. I wasn't going to be in the arms of another woman. I wasn't going to embezzle money. I wasn't going to do that stuff, but I was going to be so busy doing good things that I was going to miss the most important things, which was my relationship with God, my relationship with my wife, my relationship with my kids, now my grandkids, my relationship with my job. Because I didn't seem to, you know, ignore my job. And so what I'm finding today when we think about priorities is that busyness and hurry are often the enemies of a healthy marriage and, frankly, a healthy family, too. And I'm not saying that we should all move to Montana and live in a commune. I'm saying we have to figure out here how to do it here and now. That's hard. It's complicated. I told you it was simple. I didn't tell you it was easy. I love this phrase. Somebody gave it to me once. The unbalanced life is never kind to the areas we neglect. The unbalanced life is never kind to the areas we neglect. But what's amazing is sometimes the areas that we neglect are the key areas because we're busy trying to get through Thursday. And then we wake up and we go, well, we got to do this again, is what I'm saying. So we're overcommitted, we're underconnected. And many times in that, we live with our busyness, we, we go to the next level, which is what I call crisis mode living. Crisis mode living is when you spend most of your waking moments going from thing to thing, to meeting, to carpool, to laundry, to whatever it is, you know, and then going, wait, we got to do this again. Where of a, of a, when I was writing the book, Creating an Intimate Marriage, I, I remember being at a Starbucks once and I was looking at a New York Times because some guy had been reading it. And then remember they used to have pa- newspapers. Who, who's the engaged people in here? Engaged and just getting married. Where, where are you? I'm not going to pick on you. I'm just, you're probably younger. Okay, maybe you're not. Maybe you're not even in here. You just said you were on that little poll. Um, but you know, this, you know what a newspaper is? You, you know what a newspaper is. It's this white thing. It has like, yeah, you don't use it, but you know, you read it on your phone, but you know, there you go, right? 
so I was reading this New York Times article, and it said, lonely husband, lonely wife. And I thought, well, well that's what I'm writing on. So it was in the front page. It was the column, and it talked about a guy that was amazing. And he worked on Wall Street, and they, by the where they lived, I could tell they had a nice, at least, apartment overlooking Central Park, so they had money. <clears throat> and uh, he worked hard, but he came to all of his kids' games. He, he came to every son's game. He came to every daughter's dance recital and, you know, talked about this, what an incredible, you know, parent they were. And then the mom worked part-time, and then she volunteered at the school, and she actually sang in the worship band at a church called Redeemer Presbyterian in New York, which is a great church. And so I'm like, why are they saying lonely husband, lonely wife? But then when it gets to the very end, they go to bed too late each night, uh, busy, 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 six inches from each other, but miles apart relationally. And I think a lot of people live like that. They live in kind of a crisis mode. We're just going from thing to thing to thing. And again, I'm not saying that there's this perfect balance. I'm just saying that if we continue to do that, we change our priorities. And then we have trouble with those primary relationships that I talked about, God, our spouse, our kids, you know, our physical health. And I know that when I'm in crisis mode, and there are times still when I am, and I'm speaking to you on it, but there's times when I'm in crisis mode, what I do is I economize and skim in my relationship with Kathy. So I, I, you know, I, I try to show some love and care, and, but I'm just economizing and skimming because I don't have much left in me. See? And when you economize and skim, what you really need to do is eliminate and concentrate and actually focus on something and make your top priorities your top priority. This is a management guru, but he pretty much said it well with marriage too. First things first, last things not at all. And what some people need to do in their marriage to have a successful marriage is make their marriage so much a priority that they actually have to take something off the table that's good. So I love golf. I played golf in college. I was on the golf team in college, but I don't play golf now. That doesn't mean that that's unspiritual or that I'm super spiritual. It just means at this season of my life, I can't do that. That doesn't mean that some of you, like, you're golfers. I get it. But for me, I had to pull something off the table because my life was too busy. So that was a, a, a something that I pulled. I surf. I still surf, okay? I live in Southern California. I live in Dana Point. It's a great surf spot, so I still surf. So I surf, but it, it's a lot quicker to surf than it is to play golf. So, you know, it's not like I'm, you know, just sitting there humming and praying or just, you know, connecting with Kathy, but I had to pull something off. So when we economize and skim in our relationship, we are giving our spouse our emotional scraps, and the question I want to ask you is, are you giving your spouse your emotional scraps? Sometimes we give the emotional scraps because we're too busy and we're in crisis mode. Other times we do it because we don't feel safe around our spouse. Maybe our spouse criticizes us a lot. And criticism that's even true or just or right, if it's done all the time, makes it not safe. They know. So we can't be one-topic people either. Well, how do, how do we handle this? Too many times what we handle it is the definition of insanity. It's doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. And if it's working for you in your marriage, keep doing what you're doing. This isn't one of these talks where you just go, I need to walk out of here, and our marriage is a mess, and we're all a mess. No, we're all kind of messy, okay? But if you're doing the same thing and it's not working, then it's time to probably figure out something else. So in the short time that I have with you, what I'd say is a couple of thoughts. One is we've got to repair the past. If we want to have a good marriage, remember the question that I asked? How will our marriage last well for these people who are at the 45 part? How did they get there? 
Because the average marriage, you know, they always say that the average marriage you lose at seven years. But that's from a movie called The Seven-Year Itch with Marilyn Monroe. Actually, studies say that it's four years they don't make it. But they also say that if a person perseveres, a couple perseveres in their marriage, even if they have a troubled marriage, for troubled marriages that they persevere, 78% better chance if you persevere for five years. Hmm. But I'm guessing that in those five years, they kind of began to move their priorities straight. But you've got to repair the past. Now, when you're doing that, you can't think about repairing the past for the person that you're sitting next to. It's repairing your past, see. And uh, you've got to be ruthlessly honest about your own brokenness. We're all broken people. You know, sometimes we make the mistake that we come to church and we think that the people by us have it all together. They don't. We don't. And, and the fact is, is that we have to be so honest about ruthlessly, you know, dealing with our own brokenness. Do you have some unfinished business from a past relationship? Do you have some unfinished business with maybe something that's got you, maybe it was an addiction. Maybe there was abuse. Talked to a woman two weeks ago at the National Singles Mom Conference. And what she said was, she said, you know, I just got stuck into some really tough addictions and I was abused as a child. And in my first marriage, I never told my husband I was abused and our intimacy wasn't working so well. Well, duh. The truth is, I'm not blaming her for the abuse by any means, but I'm saying she had to deal with her brokenness and she didn't deal with her brokenness and it leaked out in a relationship. See what I'm saying? So, be ruthlessly honest about your own brokenness. Somebody once said this to me. It's not my mind, but I can't find the quote. If you don't heal, you will repeat. I just remembered where it was, who I heard it from. That is so funny. I'm going to write it down. Now I know. It's my friend Steve Arterburn. He's here from Indiana. If you don't heal, you will repeat. And so what happens is in marriage, we tend to, your arguments are the same, or at least our arguments a lot of times are the same. Our stuff is the same, but if we don't heal, we will repeat. Secondly is focus on your stuff, not on his stuff. Focus on your stuff, not on her stuff. Because when I point a finger at Kathy, there are three fingers pointing back at me. And when I'm pointing at Kathy, I want to change her. I've wanted to change her for over 48 years because we dated for three years in college. I always want to change her. But guess what? Those three fingers are pointing back at me. I can't change her. I can only change one person, me. And she can only change one person, and she would love to change me. But what's fascinating about it is we finally have figured out, and I think one of the successes of our marriage is that we figured out that I'm not going to change her, she's not going to change me. But if I change, then she comes along. If she changes, then I come along. Isn't that fascinating? So focus on your stuff, not on his stuff or on her stuff. And again, like I said, if you're trying to nag them into doing it right, how's it going for you? It's not working. Constant criticism, like I said, even if it's right, it's not working. You're not safe. You have the power to change one person. Okay. Thirdly, under the idea of repair the past, is if the tooth is infected, pull it. My, my friend Henry Cloud has written books called Boundaries, and um, the average Christian book sells about 5,000 copies. His books sell 4 million copies. He's an amazing guy. And uh, it's one of his phrases. If the tooth is infected, pull it. Don't pull the marriage. Pull what's bugging you in your marriage. Whatever it takes. I think when Kathy and I began to look at each other and thought about priorities and looked at each other and went, whatever it takes, we're going to do whatever it takes to make this thing work. That is actually when there was some freedom. That's when we started making it better. But some people think that when they get married, it's going to be all like roses and perfect and all that. It's not. No one, please don't hear that from me. 
It's great. I wouldn't change it for anything. But the fact of the matter is, is that I had to learn pretty quickly that there were some infections that we had to pull out of ours. Part of it was me. I was too busy. So when we made those decisions to change some of those priorities, that was my deal. So non-negotiable date night, out three nights a week. I started to say this, and then I kind of moved it on. We made a decision to be out only three nights a week. Okay. We also made a decision for Kathy to have veto power over my schedule. Those were the three priorities that we made when I was talking about us at the, at the salt and pepper restaurant. Now, I don't know what your priorities are or what you need to make, but those were the priorities we needed to make. And those are priorities that still work today. Kathy has veto power over my schedule. In fact, I saw when, when uh, Andy uh, wrote me and, and wanted me to come uh, back, and I'd, been, I'd had such a great experience with you guys last time. And, uh, I saw, and it has CB, because Kathy can make a decision. We get about two requests a day, and we can't take them all, of course. And so we are looking through. What can we do? Kathy went, Jim will want this one. It's in a speaking committee. Jim will want this one. I think she thinks I have a bromance on Randy, but I truly don't. I'm just telling her. But the point being is she could also veto it. There were times when our kids were in the home, because we're now empty nesters, but there were times when our kids were in the home, and she, she vetoed stuff, some pretty great events. But she knew the, the rhythm of the family better, and so that decision was a really good decision. It wasn't a passive-aggressive decision, which I can be, but to hand to Kathy and just go, fine, you be in charge. But what it was was us becoming a we instead of kind of pointing at each other and blaming each other. And when that happened, that was, a, that was a good thing. And then also we have to seek forgiveness. If you want to repair the past, you've got to seek forgiveness. You've got to give forgiveness. You say, but you don't know my situation. It was, you know, maybe there's adultery or really tough stuff. I, and I, I am not saying that you just forgive and forget on that one. But I am saying that a good marriage is a marriage that's based on forgiveness, giving forgiveness, receiving forgiveness. Sometimes we don't receive forgiveness. We don't do a very good job of receiving forgiveness for numerous reasons, which we're not going to get into. But a marriage is not going to thrive without forgiveness and asking forgiveness, receiving forgiveness, being a person who gives forgiveness. Forgiveness is a key that builds connection and builds intimacy, and lack of forgiveness equals lack of intimacy. So if you don't have a lot of intimacy, is there something that you're harboring? Anne Lamott said this, uh, not forgiving someone is like drinking rat poison and then expecting them and waiting for them to die, right? So sometimes what the forgiveness does is it eats us up, okay? Now, what I think we need is I think we, we need a goal and a roadmap in marriage. And so I'm going to give you my, our goal. Kathy's and my goal. We made this up years ago. This is our goal. This is our roadmap. It's one sentence. It's nine words, okay? Are you ready for it? Now, this doesn't have to be yours. I'm just saying this is ours, okay? So here it is. Here it goes, okay? It's going to come up on the screen. It's Ephesians 5.21. It's a scripture. And it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So what we decided a long time ago was that if we were going to have intimacy in our marriage, and if we were going to have connection, if we were going to make it a priority, the priority would have to be out of reverence for Christ. So we can have reverence for Christ because we know what he did for us. He hung on a cross. He died. He forgave us. We, this is too good of a deal to, to not accept. So out of reverence for Christ, we're going to submit to one another. And that's what we do. It's called mutual submission. It doesn't mean that she's a doormat or that I'm a doormat. It means we mutually submit to one another. 
Now, I'll be honest, at the beginning of our marriage, I thought it was a 50-50 deal. I thought, you know, I was going to give 50, she was going to give 50, and we would become whole, and that was going to be awesome. Our marriage has never been 50-50. There are times when I've carried the marriage 75-80%. There are times when Kathy, during my cancer time, she was carrying the marriage 75-80%. It's never totally 50-50. What were we thinking? But when it comes to that scripture right up there, the question you have to ask is, are you a, a servant lover or a selfish lover? And until I started really dealing with that thought, am I a servant lover or a selfish lover? Because I am kind of a servant type of guy. I mean, that's just kind of who I am. That's who I was when I was a kid. I mean, it kind of comes somewhat naturally. But I realized, no, I was more of a selfish lover. You know, the baby, when we were having babies, um, you know, the baby cries in the middle of the night. Kathy could sleep through anything. Somebody could beat on her, and she would, like, sleep right through it. It just drives me nuts, okay? And I've, I'm, like, wide awake, so I go get the baby, but there's nothing I can do in terms of the feeding side, so I have to wake her up, and she's like, oh, okay, so I give her the baby, and then the baby smells, and I'm like, change the diaper. Give me a break, but she's, like, fast asleep. She's already done her job, and uh, she's fast asleep, and so then I have to pull you know, pick up the baby and change the diaper. What? But there would be times during the day where I'd smell this thing, but I would just smell it where Kathy's just like, oh, you, P-U, you stink, and she'd change the diaper. No big deal. Much more of a servant lover than a selfish lover, Kathy. So I realized that there were some things that I had to, to work on, and one of them was because of that scripture, I was going to, out of reverence for Christ, I was going to submit to Kathy. But I'm doing it out of reverence for Christ. I'm not doing it just because Kathy's cool and groovy. She is cool and groovy. People who have been married for over 30 years know what the word groovy means. The rest of you have no idea what that means. So I want to show you a video. And this is an old school video. um, But I'm going to ask one question. At the end, I'm going to ask you this question. Is this guy a servant lover or a selfish lover? Okay? Let's watch this video. to me now work work so you'd think you did it yourself. (laughs) That's just evil. And you're married to it. (laughs) That's just evil, and you are married to it. What's also kind of evil about it was that it's so old school that they're arguing over a Walkman, and she's wearing a velour outfit. Like my wife, I showed this. One other time I showed this, this video. I don't know where I... Oh, I found it online. And Kathy goes, dude... That's like really old school. I mean, it's a Walkman. Does anybody have a Walkman? I go, no, but it's just a perfect illustration of selfish, right? And he was, and we are, and we do that. And what we need to do if we want to have a good relationship is make our top priority a priority where we just kind of back off and we not do that as much. Now, to make our marriage a priority, I'm going to give you three action steps, okay? And I've kind of already covered many of them, but I'm going to give you three action steps. I call them connection 
acting steps, um, connecting action steps. And the first one is, are you willing to give your spouse 1% of your, of your week? Is there anybody in here who's not willing to give their spouse 1%? And be honest if you want to. Okay. You'll get murdered by your spouse, but, you know. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, would you be willing to give your spouse 1%? Of course you would. Well, you know what that is in a week? That's 90 minutes. You know what that is? That's one date. So what we're finding, I mentioned this, 78% of couples say that as when they started dating weekly. Now, again, how you define a date. I mean, Kathy and I, during a time period when it was, you know, kids were running around and we had the co-op babysitting, we didn't have enough money to pay for the babysitter that now is in, unbelievably expensive. Um, but, you know, we, were, we would have, we'd put the kids to bed. We'd, we'd change the clocks um, before it was time to change the clock, right? And we'd just go, okay, everybody, it's time for bed. But it's, it's still light out. Nope, nope, it's a weird deal with the sun and the moon. It's a special time. Uh, go to bed, you know, and then we'd put on a little fire, even in Southern California, Get Chinese food or whatever it might be, eat there, cuddle, and, you know, have some fun. Now, again, you don't, just every date doesn't mean that kind of fun that you all thought about that you had no idea that I was thinking about also. But the point that I'm saying is, is would you be willing to do that? Couples who have a priority in their marriage, they date. I'm sorry. I'm not telling you what to date, how to date. You could go to the Texas Roadhouse or you could stay in your backyard. I don't care what you do. But do you connect for 90 minutes where you don't do business, where you don't talk about schedule, where you don't talk even, frankly, much about the kids, but you court one another? Couples who do that do well. Would you be willing to give your spouse? And I've talked about busyness, and now I'm saying, would you give your spouse 90 minutes? There isn't probably one spouse in here who would say, you know what? I know I'm busy, and I know it's complicated, but yeah, we can make this work. So when you walk out of here, I really want to challenge you to do that. If you do that, now some of you are just going, fantastic, we're walking out of here and... We're, we're doing exactly what he says to do. Awesome. Keep doing it. It's it, probably working for you. I know it's worked for us. So 1% of your time. Secondly, if you aren't able to like communicate on a lot of issues, and I could spend more, I spoke on communication last year, and so I didn't do as much on communication or actually physical intimacy. But, but if you would be willing to give your spouse 30 minutes to go through schedule, calendar, I call it a business meeting, or I also call it the summit. And for Kathy and I, we have the summit. And we actually go to Starbucks and we drink coffee. We're now in the empty nest, so we can do that. When you have little kids, it's harder to get to Starbucks with, you know, kids running around. But we go to Starbucks. I bring my iPad. She brings a yellow notepad. And we go through stuff. Today, I sent her something for a speaking engagement that I'm going to be at April 22nd in Waco, Texas. And I said, hey, do you want to go with me to this because I know you like Magnolia? And she just goes, Jim, it, this is April 22nd. A, it's not in our summit. And B, that's five months from now. I'm not sure I know what I'm going to do tomorrow. So basically, she said, back off. We're not going to talk about Waco, Texas in April. Awesome. But I know that I, all I did was I just put it on my iPad. Now, I don't know that we'll talk about it um, you know, when we have our summit meeting. But what, for me, we had all these conversations in bed. And they got, if we were talking about money, that didn't go well. If we were talking about kids, sometimes it wouldn't go well. And we'd have these in bed. Bed is for sleeping or doing that other thing that I keep referring to. It's not for having meetings. And so would you be willing to spend 30 minutes? So now I'm just asked two hours of time. So you know, I'm moving it up just a bit. That's less than 1.5% of your week, but you might do that. It might help. 
You don't have to do that. I'm not telling you to do it. I'm just simply saying it sure has helped me and Kathy big time. And then the last one is what we call our closer time. And what's fascinating about closer time, and I can see that the book Closer is around there, and closer time is about spiritual intimacy. Now, some of you in here are like totally in for spiritual intimacy. Some of you are like, oh, no, I know we came to church, but I didn't know they were going to talk about this. The least developed area of intimacy for most of the people in this room, including moi and some of the leaders, is spiritual intimacy. And it's crazy, but it is. So we got physical intimacy, we got emotional intimacy, you know, we've got all kinds of intimacy issues, but it's spiritual intimacy. So Kathy and I are at a couple's house who were mentors for us because our parents, neither one of our parents were really parenting mentors or marriage mentors for us. And so this couple went to our church, older, wiser, amazing. And we were at their church, we were at their house, and we would go about four times a year and we would just ask them questions. If, if you asked them, are you the mentors for Kathy and Jim, they would go, mentors? No, I don't think so. I mean, it wasn't official. They were our mentors. We just hadn't officialized it, if that's a word. So we're there, we're talking about kids. I think we had like five questions about kids and whatnot. In the middle of it, I said, hey, what do you guys do for spiritual compatibility, spiritual intimacy? I noticed that Kathy had been saying, I just feel like we're lacking there. No, I'm, at that point, you know, I'm running a small group with, with uh, guys, students. I'm praying with everybody, praying with staff. I'm doing all these different things. Kathy is in a small group. She's praying. So we're, our prayer, you know, we were praying a lot, more than some but we weren't really connecting as much. I mean, we prayed. We prayed before dinner, and we prayed periodically about issues and things like that. So, yeah, we did. So they said, well, we spend 20 minutes a week. The bubble in my head goes, 20 minutes a week? You guys are like major Christian leaders. You would know the name of this person. You're major Christian leaders. You only spend 20 minutes a week praying? And then I go, well, we don't really do that. They go, yeah, it's great. What do you do? Well, we, we read a scripture, we read something inspirational, and then we pray. That didn't sound very sexy to me. So then we went back to the parenting thing, and we get in the car, and Kathy goes, you know that 20-minute thing? I want to do that. I said, well, great, but I just don't want to do another Bible study. Um, I don't know if we want to do what they do. I said, again, passive-aggressive a little bit. I said, well, why don't you do it? You, you, you lead it. So she said, as a matter of fact, I will. So she goes, it'll be Sunday at 9 o'clock. And I'm like, that's a weird time. So I'm watching a Lakers game. I love the Lakers. So I was watching, a, and they're terrible this year, but I still love them. So I was watching the Lakers, and she comes and sits next to me, and she takes the remote control and goes, puts it on hold. I'm like, what are you doing? She goes, it's our time. And I went, oh, oh, yeah. I mean, it's not like I'm anti this. So then we did something, and she led it, and she had something kind of cool that we read. It didn't change my life. We prayed. <laughs> And um, I said, are we done? She goes, yeah. I go, okay. Do you mind if I watch the game? No. Game's back on. The next week, she did the same thing. Same thing. I don't know that we've ever had amazing moments, but you know what? Those moments have turned into hours of times together. And I would honestly say that the anointing of God in my marriage and in my parenting and and even in our ministry, a lot of that happens on Sundays at 9 o'clock. And I want to challenge you to do that. We call it our closer time. In fact, some guy, I was telling somebody this, a bunch of pastor types that need it, and some guy comes up and goes, you got to write a book on it. And I, I started laughing. I go, this is, we're not very good at this. He said, no, closer. Like, oh, wow. So I write this book. It's been the best-selling uh, devotional book in the world for a number of years. 
And Kathy and I wrote it together. We actually argued over some of the topics that we put in there. And we challenged people. I mean, you have the book, so you might as well read it. But I always tell people, you don't need to read the book. You just need to spend 20 minutes. So you, there's a scripture, and there's a story, and then there's faith conversations. And you know what? Over a time period, it changed our lives. So I've got a friend named Gary Rosberg, who when I spoke for Promise Keepers, he was always the guy that did marriage, and I did the parenting part. And Gary, he wrote a book with his wife, much sexier than any of mine. It's called The Five Sex Needs of Men and Women. You know what the fourth sex need is of a woman? Spiritual intimacy. It's not even on the list for us men. So what I'm saying is, that's what we need to do. We need to make commitments to spiritual intimacy. Does it have to be perfect? No. Is it going to be glorious? Not all the time. But if a person was willing to put 20 minutes, now again, I'm less than, I am less than 2% of your week for each other. But if you make those priorities, and again, you can dump the business one if you're doing it fine, or if any of it, some of you spend more time maybe than 20 minutes. But I'm saying if you do that, I think it helps your marriage big time. I want to close quickly with this, and my time is up. But I want to teach you a word. It's called ahava. Ahava. A-H-A-V-A. Say it on the count of three. Ahava. One, two, three. You just learned a Hebrew word, and it's actually the Hebrew word for love, although the Hebrews had several words for love, and the Greeks had several words for love. And, I mean, it's, we have one word. So I love Andy. Okay, this is my theme now. I love Andy, but I'm not completely devoted to Andy, and I don't want to have romance with Andy. In the Hebrew, I could use a word that would mean we're bromancing and we're, we're buddies, but it's not complete devotion. Ahava means complete devotion. So Kathy and I have this moment where, wow, she triggered something in me, and I said something that was pretty awful, and then she said something that was awful, and we're not, we usually just bicker. We don't really have these moments, but you know, we just kept going. And before long, we were talking about, you're like your mother and you're like your father. And, you know, it didn't go well is what I'm saying. And finally, we kind of called a timeout and I went into another part of the house and she went into another part. And I thought about it and I prayed about it and I was mad at her. And then I realized, you know, some of this was my fault. And so I came back after about an hour and I said, Kathy, I don't know what happened. And what's interesting, I don't even remember what the fight was on, but it was a tough one. And I said, but I apologize, period. Because I want to say, I apologize, but you need to apologize too. But I just said, I apologize. Will you forgive me? And I said, and I want to tell you loud and clear, I'm not going anywhere. And Kathy said, thank you for saying that. And she said, you know, I, um, I'm sorry too. And I love you. And actually, I'm, I'm always proud of you. Even you were just a dork, but I'm still proud of you. And I want to tell you, Jim, that I'm not going anywhere. That was an ahava moment. We didn't get to the ahava moment just because it happened. We did the ahava moment because we were willing to make our marriage a priority. Now, I'm not saying we, ha we do it perfect. Please don't hear that. But what I'm saying is, is that if you make your top priorities your top priority, you're going to do a whole lot better. Let me pray. Almighty God, thank you so much for these men and women. Thank you for the fact that they're here. Thank you that they are having fun, that they've had fun, that they heard these, these words, and now that they're going to go back and have some more fun. Thank you so much for that time together. And I just pray, God, that if there's something that someone in this room needs to commit to or make a decision about, that they would go and do that right now. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you so much, everybody.